0: In today's episode, Manning the Fleet, we sit down with another Navy brother and start talking about what it takes to man the fleet, how much work goes into it behind the scenes, why there's so much stress on commands and leaders, and the sailors themselves to fill all these billets and to make sure the mission's going forward. It's a pretty deep dive into it. In the end, we we spitball some ideas of what could happen in the future or now to try to fix it because things are broken with it and for the general listener it gives a really really good uh, view on what it takes for the navy to actually operate it's not as clear and simple as some might think even for the active duty sailor there's a lot that goes into manning the fleet that we are not everyday tracking so hope you enjoy welcome back to the bravo zulu podcast tonight our special edition navy episode with an unnamed source you're gonna keep it confidential and super secret for all you uh, nerds out there but we got a brother on here tonight um the Navy just came out with something big uh, across all the social media sites and everything talking about our seashore flow. And for those active duty, you know what I'm talking about for those other services, maybe not. And for civilians, it probably all foreign to you. So uh, the gentleman I have on board today, um, he is a surface background he has done tours uh, on recruiting, on Manning in the uh, ISIC, which is the immediate supervisor in charge. So it's kind of an upper echelon from your normal commands. It has a lot of experience and oversight of Manning issues and things like that. So he's going to provide us some information on the, the all the details and background of what goes into Manning, Seashore Flow, and stuff like that, to the best of his ability. Um, again, remember the disclaimers at the end of this, but this is just us talking from our experiences his a lot more than mine of how this stuff works for the Navy specifically. This is, this is not instruction. It's not guidance. It's nothing like that. This is just some good information for those out there. So um, take it as you will. It's not DOD. It's not D O N. It's none of that. It's just a couple opinions of what we, and, and he knows uh, to be true out there for us. So, um, Brother, if you may, uh, you could introduce yourself, you know, omit your name if you'd like, um, but just give if you want to give background with platforms or anything. If not, just kick it off and let's get into it.
1: Hey, Josh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to come on. Yeah, background I've been in the business uh, about 15 years. I've been underway on destroyers, carriers, cruisers, amphibs. I've done two recruiting tours. I've done an ISIC job. I'm doing another joint billet now. So I've been around the block a little bit. I understand. The dynamics of trying to man the fleet, um, and that's what you know. What people, people in the audience need to understand is: seashore flow is a tool to man the fleet. That's and to keep the fleet manned and balanced, and to keep uh, certain commands that are in demand, i.e., deployable units manned. So, I think it's important for people to take this survey that the Navy has sent out, but to um, kind of peel the onion back, and I want people to understand why seashore flow is so important. Um, you know, first and foremost, uh, the, we live in a democratic society and I fully, like you said with the disclaimers, I fully uh, obey the, the chain of command and everything I say about this. Um, it's just a difference of opinion maybe sometimes or let's face it, Big Navy listens. You know, everything we say on these kinds of forums, if you end up having a movement, it becomes policy quickly sometimes. We've seen mm-hmm. that many times in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, Facebook uh, second, uh, Q&As.
1: Yeah, it, it happens, yeah. right? I mean, I've seen, seen uh, CNP, the Chief of Navy Personnel, for our civilian folks out there, he's the senior admiral that makes a lot of our manning policies, gets asked a question, and a week later there is an instruction saying, hey, we're making a change because this sailor had a lot of feedback and said, that's a good idea, and we ran with it. Um, second, I'd like to caveat this whole kind of discussion is, Everything I'm going to talk about is open source. So if any of the things I say, you may go, oh, you know, you can't say that. Well, this is all open source. I'm not even crossing the for official use only. This is all out there. You can look at different kinds of Navy organizations like usni.org or surface articles or different ones that even, you know, Navy Times, as we like to to try to keep a a, a drumbeat on, but sometimes can have a one-sided view on things. Um, So all this stuff I'm trying to consolidate in one conversation so someone can understand the why behind the why on why we're doing this survey.
0: All right. Yeah, definitely. um, So another plug for the survey. If you're active duty Navy and you haven't taken the survey, please go take it. Lend your opinion. It's the first time I have seen a survey concerning seashore flow. So it's important. Go do it. Go ahead. uh, Take us into your first topic.
1: Uh, my first topic is I think in order for us to discuss manning, we must first discuss the employment. It's like reviewing your upcoming team season for a sports analogy before you go into free agency in the draft model. You know, you're, you're going to look at the season. You're going to look at what you lost. You're going to look at what you got coming up. You're going to look at those upcoming deployments, those oncoming exercises. You're going to start looking at rotation dates. You're going to start trying to figure out where your holes are. That's, that's the bread and butter of seashore flow is trying to identify those holes at an early enough lead time to get them filled so a proper turnover can happen because let's face it all of us that have been in those situations where you're about to arrive somewhere the dude you're right arri- you're relieving is ready to run out the door <laughs> but most of the time the commanding officer is not going to allow in the na- in the navy and the department of defense what we call you know gap turnovers so that means that we don't meet each other we don't have a physical turnover we're going to just you know i'm going to leave uh, on the 1st, and my replacement's going to get here on the 30th, and we're just going to say hello on Facebook or email, and that's that. Well, the days of that, for the most part, are gone, regardless of the officer or enlisted. Um, so that's kind of where I'm talking about these holes. And commanding officers a lot of times have power in those chief of Navy personnel instructions I talked about. Um, they can decline a transfer until a turnover takes place. For those of you on sea duty can probably attest to that. Um, you know. And I think it's important to understand the rotation that the fleet is in. So for the most part, um, maybe one or two smaller um, hull types or ship types or training organizations or commands will not operate on this, temp- on this model, but we call it the OFRP, the Optimized Fleet Response Plan. It's, it's gained a lot of public attention in the midst of the 2017 collisions. Um, and roughly that chops down into four phases. So you have a, a thirty-six month, thirty-six months without delays, kind of as a, a circadian flow of stuff. So one group of ships are in the maintenance phase where they're getting like a lot of extensive maintenance done. So think of like engine overhauls in your car. You're getting your car stripped down to the bare metal to get it reprimed and get it repainted. You know, you're going to remove all of your electrical systems and have everything put back in that's the latest and greatest you're talking major maintenance availabilities so we, that's the term we talk about them as availabilities because they're you know they're highly desired ships by design are are supposed to rust and have lots of issues from the day they are built um and the only way that doesn't happen is lots of uh sailors and contractors come together and make that ship keep beating because you know your average she- ship is supposed to last about 40 years that's what the taxpayer buys on these things a lot of people don't understand that after your maintenance phase, you move into the training phase. The training phase is where all these ships are supposed to come together and you have a 300 individuals and you make one warfighting team. Um, there's different phases of it. It kind of begins in the crawl phase that everyone's familiar with, the walk phase, the run phase, and then the blindfolded in the dark fighting with your friends, trying to find the bad guy kind of phase. I mean, it gets pretty, pretty hot and heavy and pretty advanced. Um, and then from that point on, you're at the end of training phase. You are certified. That means that you have demonstrated up to the Navy standard. Um, I'm not going to get into standards on this one. There's been a really good article on Navy standards and inspections over the last couple of weeks. It's been publicized. I would recommend reading that. But anyways, you meet the standard and then you're certified by Big Navy, which means Uh, by designation, the type commander, if you're in the surface forces, the three-star admiral says you are certified to deploy and execute your deployment orders. Um, If you're in the carrier world, it's Naval Air Forces, both uh, in San Diego, California. From that point on, you're going to go into a deployment, you know, and, you know, I think it's important to note for people to understand if you've been in the Navy about 10 years, 15 years, or more, you were only expecting as a life, as a family, as a career, you're probably going to deploy one time in that 36 month cycle. You know, that was how it was 10, 20 years ago coming up was, hey, you'll do one deployment every couple of years, you know, it'll be six months, you come back home, you'll do a lot of underways in your home, but you're home. Well, that's not really the case anymore. And that leads me into my next phase and the last phase, which is one that I think a lot of people don't fully understand. And that's called sustainment phase. Sustainment phase is roughly half of your OFRP cycle. Remember, this is a three-year clock. Half of that, you're in sustainment, which means you did your deployment, you're home, but you're still certified for deployment. Back in the day, when I mean the day, I would say the early 9-11 period to the 90s and even earlier, most ships would be in deployment certification, but they would only be what we would call surge cruises. And that was where they would go out maybe relieve someone a couple months here, a couple months there, maybe leave the West Coast, go to the Middle East for a month, And then relieve someone so they could get some maintenance or maybe uh, exchange a turnover, something like that, a special mission, so to speak. And then on the way back home, maybe, you know, stop in uh, the West, uh, the Westpac, Seventh Fleet kind of area around Japan, Australia, somewhere in between there, handle some missions and then come home. So you maybe do a three, four, five month cruise. No big deal. Typically low design, you know, low op tempo, a lot of fun. Well, those days are gone. Um, ever since a, uh, a certain CENTCOM commander that later on became a secretary of defense demanded that two carriers be present in the, in the Middle East at all times, and that became policy signed out, and it had to be executed by the fleet no matter what, that broke the back of the surface Navy. That happened about mm, 10 years ago. When that happened, people were warned that maintenance was going to be shelved for down the road. Because what a lot of people don't understand, carriers are the big gold star of the U.S. Navy. I'll get into ship counts later and uh, bear with me on manning because your employment has a big part on why those manning are there. Remember, people don't go to ships just to sit there. They go to ships to go out to sea. You need to understand the uh, employment of our ships to really understand the employment of the people that are on them. And anyways, back to sustainment. Um, These carriers, when they go out, they're not alone. They'll go out with anywhere between four and six uh, smaller ships. Some people call them small boys. Certain people in the surface community don't think they're very small. Mm-hmm. You can make your own opinion about it. Um, but long story short, you'll have about another 2,000 sailors to go out and escort yeah. this carrier of 6,000 sailors. And these, pe- a lot of people in the public or even your common uh, mess deck or chief's mess or wardroom personnel don't really understand when a carrier strike group is out, that's not just a carrier. Yeah. Because once these carriers get on station, a lot of the the senior officer in command in these different parts of the world, they don't keep the carrier strike group together. They'll keep one or two ships to protect the carrier and handle missions. But then the three or four other ships are going to go off and make haste and do their own missions. Well, that brings me back full circle where when we started normalizing having two carriers in the Middle East at the time, you're neglecting maintenance and you're neglecting training elsewhere. We only have so much peanut butter in the tube. And we started squeezing too much of it out too fast. And we couldn't put it back in because I mean, who can control peanut butter?
2: <laughs> and
1: it, it, it became the norm for com, COCOMs. So for the uninitiated combatant commanders, they, they are the senior military commanders in the military filled by all the branches. They report directly to the secretary of defense and the president kind of administratively controlled with the joint chief of staff. Um, Depending on what the issue is, we can get in different kinds of chain of command at another time. But what we did by normalizing two carriers deployed at a time with all their little ship friends going with them, we started normalizing all of that. that This is the new Navy sustainment rate. The Navy can sustain pretty much double deployments in every OFRP cycle. That's the norm now. So you're going to do a deployment deployment in the deployment phase. And then you're going to do another deployment in the sustainment phase. And then you're probably going to do a bunch of extra training around those deployments because let's face it, you're certified. You've got a driver's license for war. Now you can go out and make haste whenever the nation needs you to, which is what we're here for. But people got to understand that I would, I would go out on a limb and say 80% of your common sailors do not understand this. They just think that the plan of the day says I'm going back out to sea to let a helicopter land on me for three days in a row, or I'm going back out to sea to try to get another ally ship to find but to go play hide and seek or whatnot. They don't understand all of this. But big staffs, COCOMs, Pentagons, they started normalizing all these extra missions to where it became normal. They made a wartime surge when we were at a at hot and heavy into two wars in the Middle East. That is the new opera uh, and optimized fleet response plan tempo. That is what the entire Navy is operating at, and it's very hard to get to back that pace down operationally because between the United States States Department and the United States Department of Defense, we have – we've made a lot of promises, and nobody wants to break a promise. We need those allies. We need those promises. Um, so you have to start literally, you know, scratching off, it's of like being at the grocery store and deciding, okay, the wife said I had to get, you know, eggs, milk (laughs) and bread, but I only got money for one. And that's kind of the situation. Some of these co-coms are in and nobody wants to go back to the, to the boss of the house and say, I know you wanted three, but you know, she's going to tell you, you make it enough. And, you know, my point is people need to understand the, the op tempo and, and the employment that's being asked of them. And sometimes I think our bosses may forget uh, what is all being asked at the highest levels. And I'm not saying that any mission is less important than another, but that is kind of, from my personal opinion, the change that has happened. Um, and that'll lead me into, uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a deep dive in the maintenance phase because maintenance phase starts the OFRP, right? Right.
0: And Let me jump in real quick right there because you, yep. you just kind of took us through this whole the um up to deployment into sustainment there, and we haven't gotten into the maintenance yet, but you first started off with um the analogy of a coach or someone or the general manager looking at their team and fi- and finding the the billets or the positions that are gapped that they need mm-hmm. to 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 put people into who is that? Is that the, the CEO of the ship? Is it someone in, in Millington? Is it a combination of um, both? Like so, how many so people take that, place in that?
1: So that's a very good question. And I didn't even realize it until a couple of tours ago when I was, I was just the wrong guy sitting in the right meeting. And, uh, and then I realized how much I was going, um, how much I was learning with that. I started going to those meetings more often because I started getting educated, and what I realized is that by instruction, the XO is for most ships, is in charge of the, the manning of everything, you know, working that out with department heads and chiefs. And then from there on, um, you have Millington and those that are not in the Navy, Millington is our manpowers headquarters for the entire, uh, for the entire world, right They manage everything for the Navy. So and within Millington, you have a two man team that has a that are, that d- does most of the manpower heavy lifting. So you have a detailer, which everyone loves to call and yell at going, why are you doing this to my life or my career? Or you ha- and then you have another half that a lot of people don't understand. And that's called placement. Placement works with ships and type commanders. If you're not familiar with type commander, think about it like this. The surface type commander in the Navy owns ships. The air type commander in the Navy owns the carriers and everything that flies. The sub type commander owns everything that is a submarine and is underwater and everything that supports those units. So between the type commander, the units, XOs and personnel officers, the placement teams in Millington, you roll that huge email chain together with people's ISICs, like we said, kind of like your first line of reporting and management. They're all on the same page and they start identifying these holes based on the tasking that's coming up for them. And as those holes are, you know, discovered and put on paper and once big Navy says, yes, this is a hole that needs to get filled because this ship has orders. Everybody has to remember Squadrons, submarines, ships—they all have orders too. They're just like sailors. You know, ships don't just go out and do what they want. A lot of people think commanding officers can just operate <laughs> with, without impunity and be pirates.
2: You know, they have a lot of latitude
1: and a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of you know responsibilities and accountabilities and duties. However, they also have a boss, and they still have a mission to do. And for the most part, they're 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 kind of told a lot of times where they're going and what they're doing. They just have to make it happen. Um, but anyways, um, placement gets those holes identified and those holes get put into a system that every sailor is very familiar with. It's called CMS ID. And those become funded billets that the other side of the placement house, or the other side of the Manning house and Millington control. And those are the detailers. Everybody wants to holler at the detailer because they think he's God. He has a lot of powers, but he ain't God. Nobody's God. We all know <laughs> that. But, he is very limited, or she. I mean, i got to throw some she's in there. I love the girls out there. They do a lot better things than most men do. <laughs> um, they, you know, the, the detailer team is just given a stack of holes to fill, and they start scouring the rosters of the Navy for their specific rates, with their specific skill sets, with the timing they're expecting to move, and they just start trying to plug holes. And get people schools and educated and all that other fun jazz, but try to make them happy and sell it at the right point to make it seem like, hey, I know San Diego is really awesome, but we're going to send you to this really awesome school for 12 weeks in Florida, then you're going to go up to Norfolk for three years. That's a great deal, right? sometimes people buy it some people, some people don't sometimes people want it everybody everybody some, some everybody's,
0: people do want norfolk
1: <laughs> some people some people want norfolk and you know i won't knock them you know if that's your thing that's yeah. your thing um I, i'm allergic to the east coast and i'm from the <laughs> east coast you know? uh i don't i don't want to go back unless it's you know i have an end date it's like a week out um You know, and and that kind of that's the Manning piece. So between your XO um, and let's face it, the XO speaks, the personnel officer writes and then the XO sends. That's kind of the way it works. And then that goes up to the ISIC and then the ISIC and works that out with type commanders. That all gets into placement. Placement finds holes, gets it approved. Those become funded billets, funded billets become billets. The detailers feel and then those kind of shuffle into the shore flow thing because you know if you start messing with people see shore flows well for those on sea duty that may make your tours a little longer you know those on shore duty it may your tours a little shorter
0: as it did Um, what about like maybe five four or five years ago when they when they shifted and then all of a sudden some rates mm -hmm. did get an extra six months an extra year at sea
2: Yeah,
1: yeah yeah absolutely you know and the funny thing if i remember back to that policy was if you're on sea duty you got extended if you're on shore duty you got put on notice yeah it it, wasn't the notice usually wasn't, Hey, we're extending your shore duty. It was like, Hey, you've got six months to get past the PFA, get a C duty screening done Mm -hmm. and become ready. And I heard from several friends that, you know, they got 60 days heads up that, Hey, you're going from, you're going to go from, you know, being a gate guard to you're about to be on a ship. Yeah. And by the way, that ship's coming out of maintenance phase. And they're like, what's maintenance phase. Yeah. And then they discovered the whole new thing in life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so hopefully that answers your question on the panning side. Yeah. Um, so I'll jump back into maintenance. Right. And I think it's really important for your average sailor all the way down to the E1 level up to the E9 and 0 05 level. And hope, I know those people understand all this, but the, the big Navy has a big problem with maintenance. So I'll start it off with this kind of uh, this kind of analogy, just so people kind of understand. It's kind of like when you take your car in for an oil change because the light came on. And then the salesman guy at Valvoline says your tires need to be rotated. Your your fan belt's really loose and probably needs to be replaced. Your transmission's 20,000 miles over from being serviced and your air filter's clogged. And I'm not even gonna discuss um, the way underneath the hood looks as far as maybe I could tune it. So you went in for a $90 15 minute to repair to a $600 three hours because we're really fast at our job repair. Pretty much every ship in the fleet even new ones are having these problems. You know, it's not really a problem, but I think it's understand. Um, it's it's understood enough where people need to start planning extra time for maintenance. And the reason these maintenance problems are going on, not just we're finding, and, and that stuff's called growth work, by the way. That's the term in the business. You know, you plan for five jobs, ship pulls in. Well, now we have 25 jobs and a lot of smart people that make a lot of money have to figure out what we're going to do, what we're not going to do and what we're not willing to pay for. That's really what it comes down to. But there's another couple of layers that a lot of people don't understand. And I've even heard out of the former CNO's mouth at a all-hands call was we have a very poor maintenance capacity right now due to our shipyards conditions. A lot of people don't understand that. Shipyards are a very sensitive t- subject. And I'll say it like this as neutrally as I can. Ship- shipyards are very condensed, very high-capacity areas as far as jobs and jobs mean unions and they mean votes and politics so a lot of shipyards are tied into local voters um and i'm going to keep it as neutral as i can but i'm i think people it's really important for people to understand that and people don't want to close down shipyards because they're not on the right side of the aisle at the right time in the the election cycle or Maybe that shipyard doesn't get the funding for the 27 ships they were promised and they only get 15 when a bunch of people are mad and they're going to vote the other way. So all of a sudden we get five more ships tearing back on, for example. You know, that gets a lot deeper into the weeds. This this is probably the wrong podcast for that, but it's very um, important for people to understand shipyard capacity. And the shipyard uh, factor in maintenance and delivery. Because remember, a lot of shipyards that are inland of the United States build our newer ships, Mm -hmm. like in Pascagoula, Bath, Maine, some other places as well, Mobile. Um, Anyways, and then another big issue that we're having with these poor shipyards, their material conditions aren't that great. They're very limited on the, like, critical need gear. So there's probably been a lot of listeners been to meetings. They're like, why is everybody arguing over the one barge? Well, three ships needed at the same time. You know, if the ship doesn't have power or water sources or things like that, then we got to have somewhere for people to live and work, Um, you know, support cranes, um, major equipment, things like that. And those are all in very limited capacity because we haven't budgeted for many of them. And a lot of them are really old and haven't been replaced in certain ship areas. So this all becomes part of the maintenance phase. Like what if you have a big job, but instead of starting on Monday when all the workers are there and all the parts are there, you have to wait till Thursday because that's when the crane's available.
0: Yeah.
2: Yep. Yep. Um, just
0: to touch that, on uh, one thing for like, like, like the civilian listeners or uh, other people, um, a, a ship's barge is a floating barge unit, like a floating hotel, um, a uh, hotel motel six, and they don't leave the lights on. Okay. It, it is not the nicest. It, it's there just to get you by because all the ships, uh, uh, capable, hotel services, water, um, just living conditions on the ship are not sustainable, right? Everything's turned off. They're not producing anything. The galleys shut down. They're not cooking food on there. So everything gets moved off of the ship onto this barge where sometimes they cook. Other times they're not cooking. Other times you're (laughs) eating for nine months from the roach coach, you know, there in the yards and, and that's all that's a whole nother going into fitness and what, you know, expectations of that and stuff. But, Going into the maintenance part, the maintenance part, most most sailors will say, is the absolute worst time you could be on a ship. If you could time your your on and off times on a ship where you're getting on right at as they're coming out of the yards and then getting off of that ship right as they go in, most people will love that because doing doing that six to nine months, sometimes a year, in the shipyards is the worst, absolute worst. Yep
1: our civilian listeners imagine going to your 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 office building and you have literally a braid of hundreds of cables mm-hmm. and low pressure air hoses zip tied together that you're <laughs> tripping over constantly. I mean, yeah. all of your all of all of your lights are turned off none of your doors are capable to be closed none of your bathrooms work mm-hmm. your break room is closed the vending machines are about a mile away because that's the safest place environmental health has put them and you have so you have no ability to get fresh water. You have no ability to use a bathroom. You have no ability to really see other than the work light that's above you. That's probably about a forty watt bulb on its fifth year,
2: and
1: it's hot. <laughs> And if it's summer, it's one twenty, and if it's winter, it's negative twenty. Yeah, there's no heat sources and no air air conditioning sources.
0: Yeah, and, and on top of so, that, um, you know, worrying work. about <laughs> worrying about finding bottles filled with piss worrying worrying about if someone <laughs> took a dump in one of your storerooms and then, guys, th- these are not, these aren't jokes. Like this is real stuff that people have found or experienced every yes. day. <laughs> and, and we're talking about those are humans doing that right to don't want to get off the ship. So they take a piss in a bottle. Okay. That's one thing, but they also want to take a shit in your space. That's real life right there. People, uh, for the, the, the shipyard, you know, life. But anyways, please go on.
1: Um, and then, and then my number, my final, um, thing that I'll mention that I really think is the least known about maintenance availability is the lack of skilled labor forces. You know, the baby boomer generation, America's greatest generation for, you know, credited for that for all the right reasons and well-deserved, you know, they had a plethora of skilled laborers. And when I mean skilled laborers is, you know, like marine engineers, marine electrical engineers, high-end welders, high-end brazers, um, high-end project managers. I'm not saying we don't have those anymore, We just don't have very many of them and there's not a big drumbeat desire for a lot of the people that are maybe, I'm not going to say millennial, but maybe Gen X, Gen Z kind of guys, kind of guys that they want to give back. They want to serve, but you know, for whatever reason, they can't put the uniform on. So they learn how to, they learn a trade and they want to work in the shipyard. Well, we're not getting a lot of recruiting payoff in those avenues. So you know, think about it on the West Coast at one point, for example, we may have had a thousand specialized welders that are covering Bremerton, Everett, San Diego, Hawaii, all at the same time. Well, maybe we're down to a hundred now, a hundred, yeah. you know, for example, I'm not, I don't know for a right. fact, that's not my cup of tea, but I do know that crews get flown around those kind of hot maintenance hotspots just because they're the best and that's all we got. Yeah. You know, or, or, or or local areas. I won't mention there's a certain home poor that are the ones I just mentioned that are known to have very um, slower work pace. Uh, um, And they don't really understand a time deadline. They just understand the longer I work on this, the more I get paid. So they start flying in crews to kind of take the jobs away and and, and get them over the line. But these specialized laborers, you know, if you take them out of San Diego to put them in Hawaii for a month, or to put them in Bremerton for a month—that's another month of work that's not getting done in San Diego, or vice yep. versa. Yep, a lot of people don't understand that, especially in our very, um, very high, our highly skilled areas. I mean, not a lot of guys know how to work on a submarine. Think about it: how would you work on a submarine to fix it? You know, how would you work around nuclear materials to make sure this works? How would you? How would you work on this catapult that's about to launch a hundred billion dollar aircraft? A lot. Of, there's not a lot of those guys laying around. And the bigger problem strategically thinking is there's not a lot of appetite for younger generations to learn from the old yard birds. that have been doing it 30 years. So that's a big problem. A lot of people don't understand coming out of out of the Pentagon right now is how are we going to recruit young talent to come and learn these skills? Uh, you know, these skills to get these ships out of maintenance phase on time. Um, you know, cause a couple of ships come out of maintenance on time, but let's face it. We all know the truth. Most don't. And the only way that we say they come out on time is we start canceling jobs, and we def- it's called deferred maintenance. <laughs> so
0: that
1: job, that job that we
0: were going to yep. do next time.
1: That had had to get done, well, we're, we punted that six months down the road. We'll yep. handle that the
0: next J- time. Just like, you, like it, you said with the analogy of you take your car in, and they say you need all this extra shit, and it's going to cost $600 and this much time. And you ain't got that money, and you ain't got that time. So you're like, nope, let's do that oil change because I got to get down the road.
1: Yep. I got e- I got twelve minutes and I got twenty bucks. So yep. do what you can.
0: Yep, that's it. And man. that's
1: that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of times what comes out of these, you know, these scrambled egg and above meetings. And when I mean scrambled egg and above, those are senior officers reporting up and up to the, the people that own the checkbooks. Because people got to understand, in the Department of Defense, we don't talk low, do, low low money. It's like, hey, are we gonna are we gonna move this ten million dollar job six months down the road? Or are we gonna pay fifteen million to get it done today? Yeah. Sometimes they say yes. Sometimes they say no. Sometimes they say here's 20. It's got to be done tomorrow. It just depends. And that all comes back to that employment stuff I talked about, but um, you know, that and the reason I want people to understand the maintenance part of this is maintenance begins the OFRP. Like I said, so if the maintenance phase is delayed right off the bat, the other phases of the OFRP are delayed. And remember I said in the beginning, we have four phases. One, think about it. One ship is in each phase and it's kind of rotating forward. So when one leaves maintenance, now they're in training. The guy that was in training is now in deployment. The other one's in deployments and sustainment. The one that was in sustainment now is getting maintenance. So if the guy coming out of maintenance is delayed, he's delaying the other three turnovers. Sometimes it happens. And the one that typically gets the short end of the stick is the one that's on deployment.
2: Yep. Cause we've all <laughs> been there when
1: they break out the ice cream and steak and they're like, Hey, um, we're being extended a month because our relief is behind a month because they can't get enough welders to fix the starboard rudder. So the ship can pass a navigation certification. Like that's how it happens. People you got to understand if you can go back in the right email chains or the right meetings, that's really how it works. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and, and that's just, that's just how it happens. Uh, And that, and some other things that happened in the maintenance delays is when the Navy personnel command, like I mentioned, they do their best to, to beef up manning with prospective gains during this phase. Like we, we have learned from our mistakes, detailers and placement do their best to beef up ships and maintenance. But like I said, if a ship gets delayed three months, or six months, then you just hurried to get a bunch of new people on a ship that's still sitting there six, four months. So now, you know, you got to start looking at the end date of that sustain. And it's like, oh, you know, a lot of these guys we just got, they're going to get extended six months. You know, they're going to do another extra six months of sea duty on that seashore flow because that ship came out of maintenance late, but they got their own time, so to speak. It happens. I would actually beg to say it happens more than it doesn't happen. And, you know, people got to understand that. And the reason that big navy and navy personnel command try to get ships beefed up and and units beefed up squadrons beefed up during the maintenance phases is this is right before all the training happens and it's really important for crews to go out and execute missions on deployment if they've trained together think about it was the with the new england patriots like wave summer workouts fall you know fall camp uh, you know, their, their exhibition games and show up in week three and never have practiced together. Like it's just not how it works. No professional organization in the world does that. Neither does the U S Navy. Um, unfortunately sometimes the Manning, uh, the moving Manning, uh, bullseye doesn't meet the mark. And a lot of crews get filled out during training phase. And a lot of times the ones that are getting the training are leaving three months later. So, Um, It's definitely food for thought for people to realize that are in management positions inside of a deploying unit and above a deploying unit is do your best you can to get your people there so they can get the training with the teammates they're about to deploy with. Um, You know, and then if you can't and you have these holes that are considered critical and, you know, even super critical, we have a term for this in the Navy, they're called red lines. And this is kind of like a red line in the sand. And the term means That ship is not allowed to leave the pier unless a certain sailor is on board that ship with a specific skill set that is deemed mission critical. So let's say a navigation electronics technician. That's pretty important. If a ship's out to sea and all the electronics break for their navigation equipment, they're not allowed to come back in until they fly another guy out to fix it. So the Navy's, you know, it's another lesson learned from 2017 is you have to make sure some of these critical people are on board. Um, and ironically commanding officers, not one of them, just to throw that out there. <laughs>
2: <Like> <laughs>
0: you're rescue. Yeah. Get someone you're, else to fill
1: you're, in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. XO. Chief stat, you know, senior, next senior officer ups, next man up routine, but you can't do next man up with what you have certain skill sets. And I'll get into what that's kind of termed in the business. Um, but anyways, these holes, if you can't get them filled by detailers and personnel commands, the TICOM steps in, the type commander and ISICS, and they start doing what a lot of sailors hate. They're called TMAD requests, temporary assigned duty. So a ship gets pulled off, say you're a ship that's in maintenance phase. And you're in the beginning of maintenance phase. You just finished deployment phase. You just finished your second deployment and sustainment phase. You're in maintenance phase. You're you know you're living life. You're walking around following a welder with a with a CO2 bottle, making sure he doesn't burn your ship. And then your your chief and your department head pull you aside at sixteen hundred on the workday and go, "Hey, you're going underway next Monday because uh, this ship needs you and they don't have a replacement and you're you're the best fit. Good luck. It happens a lot. A, a lot. lot of people don't realize this happens a lot. You find that out on Friday." And you need to be on board Sunday for a 7 a.m. Underway on Monday. Yeah, uh, Even though you're on sea duty. And that's the answer they always come back with. You're on sea duty. You should always be ready. Well, thank you. But I'm part of a schedule. And my ship's schedule says I'm supposed to be sitting on blocks for the next 12 months. But thank you.
0: You know, that's a and, real bad problem you know, that I'm starting to experience in the community that I shared with you. LCS, I'll say it. I don't give a damn. Um, it's always out there. And it's it's. I feel it's more used as a threat from some people. You know, like, hey. You know, don't get married to whatever pre-com you think you're going to because we're going to pull you at any time to go somewhere else. And it's like, what What are you talking about? You know, what, no, no, I, I, I detailed for these orders. I went through all this other BS, some of the stuff you've covered, right, for specific reasons so I could have this schedule, as you just mentioned. And now you get this threatening, nope, nope, don't get married to it. It's going to change. It's going to change. And you're like, well, if it's going to change, tell me right now what it's going to change to so I can change my whole schedule for the next five years because that, that's what you're doing to me. And I'm talking about me specifically right now. Like, if you're going to change something, let me know. Don't don't dangle it. You know, just tell me because I need to redo my life, right, because I I've, mm-hmm. I've, I've played the Navy game. You know, I, I understand what you guys had to do and where you needed me. So I volunteered for something, but now you're trying to volunteer me for something else. You know, so it, it is it is a major pain. And trust me, junior sailors out there, I feel for you when that shit happens because it happens to the E7 and above just as much, that, if not more. That, that,
1: this happens really big at the, at the chief and above level because there's a lot of things that can't be educated that yeah. the Navy has deemed experience worthy. And there's no real good way across the board to codify experience. So the Navy just goes off you typically with pay grade. And they'll assume if someone's a chief that they'll know what they're doing, regardless if they've been in 20 or they've been in seven years. Yeah. Um, so it happens, especially in like the navigation and the electronics world. Those two worlds get beat down a lot, um, yeah. And then I mean, you know, if you're in the maintenance world, and those in, that are not in the Navy and in, in the maintenance communities, there's a term I'm sure that is understood on the outside. It's called cannabbing So you cannibalize something. So ship leaving needs a part. So they go to a ship yep. that's in maintenance and they steal that part. Well, we took that method and we we put it into manpower as a mm-hmm. manpower tool. Yep. So now we God. cannab sailors.
0: It's the worst. And I will act-
1: I can discuss this a little bit more. I have it written down, but I think it's very important for people to understand cannabbing sailors is a very common everyday occurrence. And I've got some pretty scary numbers I've seen in recent deployments. Um, And I can go over that stuff in a little bit. But, anyways, I think that's enough. People can understand maintenance phase. Uh, Bottom line maintenance phase sucks, and there are (laughs) no guarantees for you, the ship, or your equipment. All All our own fair game. But, you know, the bottom line is people don't realize that ships in maintenance phase still have a job. They still have programs to manage. They still have sailors to manage. They still have equipment they're responsible for. They still have career training that has to happen. These units in maintenance phases still have training that has to happen. They still have duty to stand. They still have fires to be ready to put out. And not to mention the entire joint world still knows that they have these things. If you're not understood with the term IA, they're called individual augmentee. And they still pop up every now and then where it's like, hey, the army needs someone with your skill set to go to Iraq for seven months. Are you down? And you're like, well, I'm in maintenance phase. I just got off a of two of one. And it's like, no, I'm not down. <laughs> and every, every, every ship in the Navy that's in maintenance phase just got that same request. And they're hitting up 15 sailors trying to get one. Like it happens. Everybody in the Navy and the military know if a ship's in maintenance phase, it's like you can go in there and just steal. Just kind of mm-hmm. tell someone what you're doing and you can steal whatever you want, including manning. So I, I think that's really important to, to keep in mind when you're thinking about seashore flow. But uh, anyways, maintenance. Uh, I'm going to lead that into uh, my next phase, and I'll turn turn the page here, as it's uh, said in the business. Is um, I think deployment is pretty cut and dry. I think I covered that well enough. You're certified. You have orders that's signed by the fleet commander, the four star that was given by a mission that was given by the four star COCOM commander. Combatant commander told the fleet commander, I need a unit to do this job. The fleet commander finds a unit that can do that job. They get deployment orders out the door. They go next phase sustainment. So like I was mentioning in the beginning, old school, old school sailors would understand that in your sustainment phase, roughly by design, 18 months, you, you may do a six month cruise in there, maybe a four month or maybe a six month or well, Those surge deployments are, for the most part, gone now. Um, Your average ship in the Navy right now is doing like an eight to nine month deployment. And I'm not including the COVID quarantines on the beginning or the COVID quarantines as ships pull into port visits. For those of you who don't know, one of the best selling tools when I was a recruiter a couple of times is I could be like, hey, you know where the Army went? They went to Fort Hood, Texas, to an air base in Germany. They swapped planes and they landed in Baghdad. They did that for a year, and they came home. They didn't see anything. Do you really think they want to tell you about how awesome Baghdad is? Like, I'm sure it's got a lot of cool things, but come on. It's Baghdad. I could easily just drop the script and be like, yeah. So, you know, I lived in San Diego. I went to Hawaii and then I went to Duke and then I went to this town called Yakuska, Japan, and I hung out in Tokyo. And then from there, you know, we, we set south a little bit and I bumped into Hong Kong for a while. And then I hit Singapore and then we we stopped in Dubai and then this little awesome island in the Middle East called Bahrain, where if you get plugged <laughs> in the, the right places, you know, Bahrain's actually a pretty, pretty jam spot. And then, you know, I dipped out from there. And we hit it, hit Thailand and Vietnam on the way home. And then I hit Hawaii go. again, and then I'm home. Like, like I would say that to even one. people's parents they are like, is there, a, <laughs> is there an age requirement? Like, yeah. like, what do you, what do you want to do? Like, I'm like, yeah, we're on a ship. Like, you know, you know, you may be working 30 to 45 days in between, but you still got to go to those places like for free. Like you got yeah. two or three days in those places. Um, so, you know, that was an easy pitch, but anyways, these long deployments, you don't get those port visits anymore until we, we get the Rona under control
2: yep. and
1: I'm not going to touch too much on Rona cause that's literally throwing a huge wrench in everyone in the placement and detailer world. And, you know, I can't, I can't even begin to fathom their pain with all this, but, um, you know, back in the day, I was saying, even not, not all the ships would surge. Some ships would be in sustainment phase, just waiting for the call for war and it never came. So they went from sustainment into maintenance and they just hung out in their home port, uh, doing exercises or training for other units. You know, they may be a certified ship that's going out doing an exercise for a non-certified ship where they're playing the bad guy, things like that. So stuff, stuff in sustainment phase has changed a lot. And I, to, and I would argue ships in sustainment phase right now are actually getting it worse because up until recently, When a ship is in deployment phase, there is a policy where they have to have 95% of their manning manned. When a ship pulled in from deployment, all of those temporary assigned duties that were on board to keep them at 95% go away. They go back to where they came from.
0: But still deployable.
1: But still certified for deployment, baby. Yep. Um, and I, I will caveat this for those that are curious. Yes, a ship is, is certified in a lot of different warfare areas. And if a certain manning percentage drops down for a warfare area, so for example, let's say naval surface fire support. So a ship's ability to shoot large caliber rounds from a ship to a, a land target, if a certain percentage of that certified team has to go away for whatever reason, that ship must recertify. And that goes for a, a handful of certifications. Those are called material area validations. MABS is the, is the fleet term. Um, if you have not gone through that yet, then uh, it's coming. It's new and it's fun. And your ISIC is just all over you and reassessing you as an instructor. Um, but like I said, when a ship's in sustainment, they don't have that blessing anymore. You know, some ships were deploying with... 60% of the ship's company that went through the basic phase. So 40% oh, of that crew oh my did God. not. 40% of these crews sometimes may be temporarily assigned. You know, That's, 30% of these crews may be temporarily assigned that didn't go through the ba- the training phase. Yeah. They didn't go through all the training. They have different ball caps, as we say in the Navy. It's like, dude, why do we have all these different ball caps? <laughs> with their team They're team yeah. ads. They're here to, to work on equipment. And I won't even get in the differences in some of our equipments, you know, just because it says I have a Mac and you have a Mac. Well, I have a Mac, but this is a Mac. You have your, your computer systems, a Mac 10. I only know how to do Mac, you know, Mac Catalina from 2020. Yeah, um, that happens. And once again, that was a root cause factor determined from the John McCain incident. You know, oh, wow. these, these issues happen. Our ships, um, our ships are not all built the same, even if they're built in the same shipyard and they're the same. They're the same ship type. They may have completely different systems on them. So sustainment is a very challenging job. And like I was mentioning before, over time, COCOMs and Pentagon leaders have used these surge times as new permanent deploying times. Think about it. This sustainment was built in to be there in the event a new war kicked off and we needed an immediate fleet to go and fight. Yep. Yep. And they're there to hold the fight until backup gets there. Well, now they all have jobs. Deployed units have jobs. Sustainment ships have jobs. Now, theoretically, do I think if war kicked off would all those jobs and sustainment get reshuffled? Absolutely. I can't speak to that. And I don't even think every fleet commander could speak to that. He'd have to be presented with the accurate intelligence of the current situation um, to really make those decisions on what's important now and what's not. But it's important for people to understand these ships that are in sustainment are heavily employed. They are just seen as the workhorse. It's kind of like Ships in maintenance phase are seen as the resource horses. Well, ships in sustainment phase, they're your employment horses, but they don't have the policy umbrella to keep the manning on board. So that's why a lot of ships that may be in sustainment um, don't get the same manning blessings, so to speak. They are trying to get that manning up to a certain level. I won't get into here because I haven't read the policy signed out by an admiral yet, but they're trying to fix this. I do know it's identified at the four-star level. I just don't know if it's been approved um and and that's that's a big problem like if you really think about what i just said you know some of these ships are not trained to go out in the job we're doing as a crew
0: yeah some i mean I mean, are. just the you know to keep it simple you know you have a hundred sailors on a ship you don't but if you're only taking 60 right you just dropped you just came home from deployment and 40 of those that just came home from deployment are now gone and three months later you're going out for another deployment with 60 that yeah but besides the day-to-day job that sailors have um the watch standing for certain rates and, and jobs the import watch standing all of that the 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 impact is so wide across every part of and every sailor of that ship it's it's difficult and that's that leads to so many other problems and we're not that's just quick you know quick manning cut right boom 40 gone you know for simple numbers 40 people gone now you have 60 left and those 60 left are realizing how much life is starting to fucking suck and how many are because tapping they're the ones
1: they're the ones that are having to teach they're right. the ones that are having to carry mm-hmm. like, two saver's jobs every day now and,
0: and and they just did it through the maintenance phase they just did it through the training and, and the deployment and they're tired and they're worn out and now they're being told and they, and they're, six and they're nine more months confused. They
1: yeah probably don't understand what's happening
0: yes and now they're now you get into mental health things and uh we in the future, I hope to have podcasts about that, you know, but you can see where sixty becomes fifty, and now you're it, with a fifty percent crew going out on deployment, expected to fully operate as that fully qualified certified ship from you know a year ago, yeah, and it gets it done, people. It still gets done. It's, it's, it's happening but, today. Right, but. It's
1: happening today.
0: It's happening to the detriment of something. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, per- and, I,
1: and, I, and I can, I'll get into that something a little bit and, and, okay. and try to tie some of this stuff back in. Um, but, you know, I think it's also important to note, I, I want to use a little bit of history for those that aren't in the Navy. History for the Navy is extremely important. Um, I, I would argue it's probably like top six things that the Navy really tries to look at every decision on. What's the precedence? What's the historical record? Yep. And I think it's important to note that ship counts, and I'm not going to go back to World War II and even you know the booming uh, Reagan administration era when we had <laughs> 600 ships and things like that. In 2001, 2001, when the glo- global war on terrorism started, the, the Navy had 12 carriers and 316 ships. Now remember, I'm counting, I'm counting warships. I'm not counting the supply ships. I'm not counting the tugboats. I'm not counting those warships going out, executing missions that have the ability to kill the enemy if asked to do so. In 2010, we had 11 carriers, 11. And that was after the Kitty Hawk uh, retired our last, our, our last steamer. She went down and then that put the, uh, the ship count to 288. So think about that. In the middle, and somewhere in between 2001 and 2010, if you forgot, we also started a little war with Iraq. So in the middle of two wars, our ship count went down. We lost a carrier, and then we also lost, you know, 30-some-odd ships, warships. Mm-hmm. Well, then in 2021, this is from last year, in 2021, these are fiscal numbers, by the way, if anybody's curious. Uh, In 2021, we still maintained 11 carriers because we barely got some things happened, (laughs) but then, you know, numbers look better. 297 warships. So we're all great. You know, in 11 years, we went up, we went up from 288 to 291. Well, you've already mentioned the program. (laughs) 22 (laughs) of those ships are littoral combat ships. And I think it's important to note without the littoral combat ship in the fold, we're at 275 ships in the Navy. So and they're 316, not, they're not in the fold. 275. Uh, not yet. I can't discuss future employment. There's two big missions coming down, uh, you know, in the five, 10 year goal, um, for LCS to, uh, frankly, I think it's going to save the program. I can't talk too much about it. I can mention a little bit, because an open source, I have read that it's called the Navy strike missile. If you're not available, if you're not up to date with that, that one system combined with the LCS is going to temporarily save that ship. I don't know if it'll entirely do it, but at least it kind of gives it the ability to start taking, I'll get into um in the next thing it's, it's called fleet employment. You know, think about division of labor for those people that are like in the manufacturing business. I have a hundred workers, but 70 workers do all the work and the other 30 literally stand around because they're not educated or they're not capable or they're just not directed to do so, or they don't have the tools to do the job they need to be. That means 70% of your workforce is doing 100% of your work. And that's a big problem right now in the surface community because tying this back into Manning and seashore flow where we're having a lot of sea flow to LCS program, but yep. the LCS program. And it's not, and I want to be very clear on this. LCS sailors are not at fault for this. They're actually revered in the surface fleet for being very tough, very knowledgeable, very educated, and very diversified because they have to be based on the LCS design. For those of you who don't understand LCS, you pretty much took uh, like 30 sailors and they, they're supposedly going to have a like a destroyer light mission capability. But instead of putting 300, we're down to 30. But you got to educate them, right? You have to put them through, like, I don't know, your LCS world. I heard it's like 18 months of schooling before they are even like
0: basic
1: LCS certified.
0: Depending on what rates and, and, you know, pretty much whatever rate you are, you're going to get every school because you're that one of two, maybe three. So whatever you're, you know, if if you're OS, you're getting everything because you're going to do everything. Um, You're gonna do everything. Me as as an LSE, I'm I'm the supple board. So there's a lot of opportunity to go to a lot of different schools to learn a lot of different shit. Uh, because it's me and one junior LS. That's it. So that's a lot. Of, yeah. that's a
1: lot of stuff to put on two people.
0: Right, and, and there is a lot of shore support for it. But in in my brief but, time there as a pre-com, yes, there's a lot of schools, a lot of that, but. And a lot of the systems are supposed to make it easy on you. But if the system goes down. You still need people.
1: Yeah, it's uh, manpower cannot be replaced. Right. Entirely by technology. Right. Technology can help a lot. For example, like the auto industry, a lot of people think of auto industry. A lot of jobs are going away because we're outsourcing them overseas. Well, that is partially true. But a lot of jobs are going away because we're building robot farms on these assembly lines. You know, unfortunately, you can't do that in the surface Navy. You can't build robot farms to operate warships. It doesn't work
0: that way. And even if you have like the auto industry is a great analogy, even if you have those robots, someone needs to still maintenance those robots. Someone still needs to program those robots. And you know what I mean? It might take less people, but you still need people. And if that robot goes down and you got to fix it, who's the people doing that?
1: And I'll tell you so they can make a robot, they can lead a robot, they <laughs> can fix
0: a robot. <laughs> right. Yeah, so LCS community, you're right. There's a lot of good things coming out of it from the sailors. It's great for advancement. Everyone talks about all that good hooey stuff. But for being uh, around as long as it has been, they've not figured it out at all. From my and brief a- time and- there, and if someone has a lot more information about it, hit me up. We'll we'll talk. You know, and I, I'm I'm willing to learn about it. But just from my brief time there it should be figured out already and it's not
1: and and there's a big point i think you you mentioned that i don't think a lot of people understand is lcs yeah there's 30 people on board and then there's a blue and gold crew so that means there's two fully crews per hull so there's two crews right there and then you mentioned there's a lot of shore support a lot of people don't understand how much shore support is really in the lcs world to support these ships And, you know, I I think we're supposed to at one point build up to 40 LCS and they backed it down in the neighborhood of 30, I believe. Yeah. Um, You know, is the LCS until they're really taking the same tasking that a destroyer or a cruiser can handle? Mm -hmm. Is it really fair to cruiser and destroyer sailors to still throw the manning numbers at the LCS world that we are? And maybe maybe look into the the, if you're not familiar with the Navy, we have what's, what's called the SLEP program it's what we're doing with our cruisers because the Navy hasn't figured out a viable solution for our major surface combatant replacement. So we still have cruisers rolling around that are 35 years old and we don't even have the first hull to replace them approved and or built yet. Um, So we're having to kind of stagger their life cycles by putting them on the piers, putting skeleton crews on board to maintain maintenance and systems um, until we can put them back in rotation so we can extend their life cycles. It's, it's, it's called the SLEP program, ships lay, uh, was it ships lay, layup extension program or something like that? Sounds good. Sounds good enough.
0: I'll take it. And,
1: uh, you know, maybe the Navy needs to look into that until the LCS can share some of that division of labor that's appropriate for the manning it has. Maybe you take some of these sailors down and some and switch them over. I mean, they're already decommissioning the first LCS as they've built.
0: The first four. First first two, first two for sure, but first four scheduled, yeah, because they were just training platforms or whatever. So to me, like your training platform only lasted that long.
1: Shipboard engineer plant training platforms. Yeah, (laughs) like
0: yeah, they learned how
1: not to build the (laughs) plant.
0: Yeah, it's um, it's like I I I took it to to try to dictate my own schedule, but it is, and and I think it's cool. You know, it's different. I want like I was pre com, you know, that'd be cool. Pre com a ship, be a plank owner. If you don't know, that's a big deal in the Navy, right? You were the first crew to bring that ship to life. That's huge. I thought that's I've cool. Cool. It.
1: I did it once. Oh, I got it okay. in your shoes. Yeah. I got the big plat. And yeah, like, oh man, this is awesome. And then you go through it and you're like, This is tough.
0: <laughs> it, it is tough, but I was all for it as long as I get this ship that that was, you know, essentially kind of promised to me, quote unquote, right? Um <laughs> but when when you get there and you hear all the stories and it's like hey well you know we'll find out we'll find out and then you do find out like yep that's true the stories most of them are true um awesome sailors you know i got a great small crew that that's with us right now but damn if if people don't know what the fuck is going on regularly it's it's always something new like i said you're going here you're going there no one's going anywhere but anyways that, that it's, yeah, th- it's just, wild I
1: just just, to, just st- to sum it up i just think lcs sailors are in a stacked deck yeah you know, i think they're i think they're i think they have the right tools and they have the right stuff they just they're waiting to be they're waiting to be properly utilized yeah you know it, it, they're just they're in the wrong league so to speak and it's not their fault it's their ship's <laughs> design at the current model at yeah. least you know there's some ideas to try to make it more employable like i said but you know, it's kind of like taking Alabama and lining them up against the Jaguars. It's just it's not fair <laughs> because they just can't do that much. They're very adept athletes, yeah, but they can only do. They're just they're not there yet, yeah. Um, uh, you know, like you said, if there's any LCS folks out there, please dial in if you know more, yeah. But, anyways, um, like I was touching on earlier, with these new low manning teams that are in maintenance because, you know, they have been robbed. I think it's important for people to understand why they're being robbed. What are these sailors all being stolen for? So I think a lot of people don't understand what does the fleet do? Like do we just drive around? We just we, you know, they just think we we're doing all the Captain Phillips stuff. You know, we're just taking down pirates, <laughs> you know, or we just are, you know, cause I can assure you majority of the Navy is not Tom Cruise and an F an F 18 now, <laughs> or, uh, you know, a Navy SEAL cruising around underwater, yeah. uh, sniping people. Yeah. It's a, and there's the SEAL community is pretty large, it's about 3000 operators. A lot of people don't realize that, but that is a f- small fraction. It's less than 1% of the Navy. Um, a, a large portion of your Navy Um, conducts extra missions that are doing like ballistic missile defense. You know, I'm not going to go specifically into how many missions we're doing. And that's BMD, if you're not familiar. And ballistic missile defense is a pretty – big topic in the mainstream media now because Mm -hmm. of like north korea or china or russia i think cold war kind of stuff bmd is where a lot of money's at a lot of jobs are at a lot of technology at. it's a big big deal because you don't have the ability to kind of come back from it like if it started it's just going to get really ugly really fast and the the best way to win that war is to make sure it never happens and and rightly it shouldn't Yeah. so we have a lot of assets in the fleet manning um equipment ships that are handling BMD missions. And if you've never been on a BMD deployment, it's terrible. I have. Because you don't do you don't do anything. You just sit there. Yep. You sit there and wait for something you hope never happens, doesn't happen. And then you wait for your friend to come get you. Like I told you, we don't have gap turnovers. This is definitely something a mission the Navy Mm -hmm. does not gap. You wait for you literally have to wait till you see that ship and then you can leave. Yep. Yep. Um been there. You know that That's important. That's definitely added um, onto the employment side. And a lot of these ships that are doing this are in the sustainment phase. Some in deployment are, but most are in sustainment. Um, Another big one that I think is, I'm not going to say it's bonus material, but I think if there's something that needs to be shaved off, uh, kind of the employment list is called TSC. So this is theater security cooperation exercises. This is pretty much where we dedicate assets to go and work with our allies. Um, And I understand allies are very important. I actually think allies are probably the most important because nobody's ever going to go fight the biggest bully on the block. Even though you're a big bully, too, you're still going to bring your five friends to either watch you <laughs> kick his ass or we're all, I'm just, I'm going to hit him once really good time and I want y'all to start kicking him in the chin. You know, it's kind of like that, right? Nobody That's wants funny. to go fight by themselves.
0: Yeah, that is super and funny. Pat-
1: allies at a strategic level are that those other friends that you want to kick them in the shins, because you may run, you may, you may put up a hell of a fight for about 30 seconds and then you're tired. You need a little bit of, <laughs> a little bit of you need to, you need, you need to be able to get, get some water and have two or three breathers. But you know, those friends, those allies, they're starting to have the capacity and the capability to maybe deliver that first blow too. So I'm not knocking down our allies. I've, I've, I've served with several allies, Uh, units and allied sailors throughout my career. And uh, uh, certain allies are much more capable at their jobs in the United States because they have to be, they don't have 400,000 people. They have 12,000 and they're the entire country's maritime defense. But I can't get into that, but certain missions doing theater security cooperation, we could probably dial down some and that would be in conjunction with the state department. Like I mentioned, you know, maybe we start we stop doing these exercises every four months. Maybe we do them every eight months, <laughs> maybe once a year, maybe once every other year. I don't know the right answer. I just know that maybe that could be somewhere that one of those normalized missions that I told you about that can maybe be denormalized or at least drawn down. Um, you know, like I said, we use a lot of assets in the sustainment phase to do our own training. Like training is exceptionally important. Um, it doesn't matter if you have the, the manpower to do a job. If they don't know how to do the job, then you know, they're just standing there. Um, and that's where, you know, fleet training exercises take up a lot of assets. A lot of people don't understand that too. And that's not just ships. Ships don't just help train ships, ships, train helicopters, you know, ships help train pilots. When I would go underway on a carrier, you know, there was a lot of times I spent days watching the sunset out to sea while I'm watching little orange airplanes with baby pilots try not to crash in the middle of the day on board. And, you know, we're just sitting out there, right? You got two or 3,000 sailors just sitting there doing donuts on the sea to let these 14 baby pilots practice landing on a carrier for three days. Yeah, I mean, that's where we're here. You know, I understand that. I get that. I I get it. I understand. Um, And then, you know, another big one that a lot of people don't don't maybe haven't seen so much notoriety and maybe this is where your community could help out a little bit more. If it could learn how to go out to sea and be independent and fix itself and not break down and stuff, but maybe, maybe counter drug missions. Um, Those are very successful for those that don't know the Navy in, in conjunction with the coast guard has gotten really big into counter narcotics over the last couple of years, because the cartels have gotten so rich. They learned how to build submarines
2: yep. and they're pretty yep. good at it. Yeah. Not <laughs> they're bad. actually
1: really good at it. Yeah. They can, they can make a tugboat on the surface actually is a submarine underwater full of cocaine. <laughs> and, you know, they have so much money. They'll, they'll build 10 of these things in the jungles and then wait in the dry season, wait for the wet season, put it out in the ocean. They'll fill each one of them up with a hundred million dollars. So now you have a billion dollars worth of product floating up the coast they know statistically we're probably going to catch two or three, so
0: they're still making you know, some money.
1: They lost, lost three hundred million, but they had seven hundred million come through, yeah. and they spent ten million making these submarines. Well, they just meant in, in a business terms, they just made over a <laughs> hundred, over half a million dollars.
0: Yeah, you're not you're not doing too bad.
1: So not doing not doing bad at all. So counter drug has become a really big deal on the east and the west coast. So for those of you who haven't done those kind of missions, they're actually not bad. They're they're typically short. They're fun. You go to exotic places. You get to see some cool stuff. You know, how many times in life can you legally stand next to, you know, a thousand kilos of blow that's pure, <laughs> with the little like cartel stamp from Johnny Depp? Pure as the driven snow. Great movie, and gentlemen. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, you literally have a uh, seven feet high stack of it in your yeah. picture, and you're like, and you're like, what's up?
0: Yeah, uh, one of the um, ships actually just came back. I think it was the Gabby Giffords just came back with the big haul when they got back from their deployment down south, um, yeah. what, last month or whatever with the big haul like that. Yeah. Crazy.
1: So, you know, those are the kind of missions where sailors are canabbed uh to go and conduct. And I'm not saying anyone's any one of these are less or more important, but I think it's important for sailors to understand the kind of the kind of missions that are being presented to senior leadership three four star level senior executive levels these are what these are what the boss wants this is what the president wants This is what the secretary wants what the national security council wants you know this is what we've promised to do and we have to figure out how to accomplish it all because we're in a culture right now where we nobody wants to report i can't it's i can and figure out how to get it done um I'm just going to stop talking right there. (laughs) Um, You know, and then I think it's really important for other people to understand is just because a ship is deployment certified does not mean inspections stop, does not mean certifications stop. In fact, you know, there's a lot of programs out there that once a ship is deployment certified, you're going to go through a lot more work just to maintain that certification. And I think, uh, the, the biggest bear in the room that, and the biggest change that, you know, sailors would know is in serve is now what we call no notice. You know, when I was coming up in the Navy and you too, Josh is, you used to get it like, you know, one, two, four, six, eight months heads up. Like we yeah. know those four days that's in serve. Yeah. And you know, about a month prior, life's going to suck because we're going to scrub everything. We're going to take everything apart. We're going to put it all back together. We're going to fix it. We're going to find new funding from the type commander. We're going to paint everything. The ship is going to look brand new for about a week. And it's going to be that week that all those inspectors are on board. And if you don't know what NSERV uh, is, that is pretty much a special cadre of active duty members in the Navy that are appointed by Congress and overseen by a one star admiral. And their job is to report transparently the status of the fleet directly to Congress. That's who they are. So they have a big scary monster in the fleet because nobody wants to report that this ship is old, ugly, broken, and incapable. So um, we realized after 2017, we were kind of giving the fleet an open book test telling them when the NSERV was coming. So they started this no notice NSERV. (laughs) which if you're really good with schedules and forecasting and talking to friends, you can kind of at least get a heads up, maybe within a month or so of when it's coming. You know, if you're, if your fleet level boss is saying you can't do anything that week, but in get underway for three days out of your home port, it's a pretty safe bet that you're going to be doing in serve, yeah. but your average sailor would not know that. Um, anyways, for those of you who are not in the Navy in serve would be like the biggest inspection that not your boss does, not even your boss's boss does. Think the venture capitalist that's in Northern California that put up a billion dollars in this company. And he's coming to bring a team of experts to go through everything top to bottom. And you don't know they're coming. They literally just show up one day and say, stop production. We're going through everything. And we're just going to build a snapshot of where the business is and give an executive summary back to the boss. No matter how good or bad it is. (laughs) yeah that's pretty much what in serve is and you know recently it was reported that in serve uh numbers have dropped significantly over the fleet It's not an accident we can't prepare for them as well anymore
0: but coming out of that also i mean the 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 machine doesn't stop right because i mean honestly i've i've prepped for in serve i've never had to go through in serve i remember uh the the first time we're actually getting ready for in serve i was on destroyer out of hawaii we're ordering parts and getting material a year out in advance to get ready for the buildup of hey in service you know x number of months away. Let's start changing these things. Let's get chains on the ladders. Let's you know all you know. And we had Let's just
1: fix that shit we've been stepping over exactly.
0: But we're slowly building up to get ready for it. But um, I, I was off ship. Never had to deal with it, and it, it's a fortunate thing. But also maybe something as myself as a chief. I might have should have experienced something like that in 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 my time, going into you know, into another ship or something. But you know, the roll of dice, sometimes you just don't. But back to what I was saying, like just because you fail in serve, what what's happening? What's ha- what happens if you fail in serve?
1: Nothing. You uh, you're still deployment certified, and you yeah. still got a job to do. You know, if I had to say the what's coming out of you fail in serve is you're going to get a lot more money down the road for your next maintenance availability, you know, because now we have a lot more things identified that need attention and you can't fix things in the world without either time or money. So now we're going to give them both resources. Um, that's pretty much what's going to come out of it. And then, you know, the scary monster also in the senior leadership of the Navy is if you fail in serve that your career is over as a, as a, commanding officer or an executive officer that, oh, he can't lead. He can't get a ship ready. He can't maintain a ship. No, he's, he's not ready. He's not ready for the major leagues. Um, and that's not true. Like it's not, yeah. uh, I've seen, a, I've seen a lot of COs out there that have done way worse things than fail in serve, not by their own, not by their own negligence. It's just, that's the unfortunate deck. Of the situation they were given, and they still succeeded. They went on to put on 06, or they went on to have successful post major command tours, or they went on to even become a flag officer. Like it's still possible, um, but you don't have to operate like, you know, it's a life or death situation. If you fail in serve, then you fail in serve. And the, I think it's actually more important now than ever that the taxpayers add their frr elected officials in congress that control the checkbooks and the cash coffers to understand what's the real conditions of the ships and yes. fleet yes and and really see that like we shouldn't just put a bunch of nice paint on the ship and say she's good to go yeah and we all know that well underneath that paint is a bunch of duct tape and then we put a bunch of paint on it because there's a bunch of holes yeah i'm no. not saying that happens but it, it, i've seen similar
0: situation, But you you hit the point right on the head right there, right? Is I I don't think anything should happen except what you said, more money and more time to get it fixed.
1: Or, or less employment.
0: Yes. And when, when he says that, he means the ship doing less, less employment for the ship, right? Less missions. Right. So, but I think there's also, like you said, there's the fear of that CEO. Oh no. If I fail this, that's my career right i mean i mean,
1: it, I mean that the surface hopefully it's going is,
0: away but
1: the surface community over time has just built a such a very high stressful culture of yeah you know let's face it i don't think any industry you know <laughs> enjoys failure or glorizes it but yeah, it's sure. also a learning it is a learning event too mm-hmm. you know <clears throat> if you make a common mistake then we're that just means you're human you know let's face it, as long as nobody dies and he you know it's it, it's recoverable um you know as long if a ship goes aground you know yeah it's not a good thing but nobody died like no family's getting a folded flag yeah um you know if you have a repeated mistake as a, as a co or senior leader and you made the same mistake twice well we need to really we need to really figure out why you made it the first yeah. time. And then we, we discussed it after the fact and you kept making it, you know, that's, that's the bigger issue, but it's not a career ending one. Well, you do that a third time at that point, it's, it's, it's willful noncompliance. Mm-hmm. You are at, you are knowingly disobeying something or you are in the wrong job and blindly was promoted to the wrong position. Yeah. And I really don't, I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with our, uh, the, the process our naval officers have to go with or go through to get command at sea and very i just don't see them accidentally getting the job
0: yeah for sure yeah, like, they, i'm not familiar they, with this <laughs> but yeah i don't think they accidentally promote people to 205 commanding officer of a ship that I, I just don't think and, that's that's happening
1: uh, yeah no it's <laughs> not and that's because most of the people they're they're growing up in pressure cookers. They're having to be number one at every time, yeah. every spot through their career, proven number ones. You know, and you don't have to be number one every time, but you need to be. You need to be one more than you're two. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I think I've painted a pretty big picture on employment, and this all results in very tired and hastily trained, inspection tested crews that are overemployed with worn down vessels. And I think it's important for audiences to, to reflect also, you know, we're talking about sailors and officers afloat doing these jobs. There's a lot of unsung heroes that are back in their homes that are going through the same mm-hmm. thing. They're going through the opposite. That sailor's gone. That's that dad or mom. That's not there for dinner. That's that dad or mom. That's not there to, Hey, can you run to the grocery store? I forgot the avocado for tonight's dinner. So now the opposite spouse has to load the kids up to go and do that or, maybe make something else at the last minute. You know, those are the kinds of things where a lot of people forget about And I'm sure it happens in, in civilian industries as well, but you overemploy somebody for too much for so long where, what are their families going to do? You know, there's a reason that divorce rates are, are higher in the military and highly stressful jobs. And they are in lower stress jobs it's yeah. because they're around more.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, that and that's I'm tying that back into Manning because Manning and employment go hand in hand. And I think it's important for families to get employed, too. I mean, I would be shocked if one of your listeners could call in and say, hey, I talked with the detailer and I took a set of orders on a different part of the globe and I never discussed it with my wife. Oh, yeah. Or my spouse. Yeah. Not happening.
0: No, like, you, you always got to check in.
1: In fact, you, they probably approved it before you even made the return phone call. <laughs> I'll
0: take it, honey. Uh, these are the five options. Which one do you want, or you, will you be yeah. least pissed about if we get?
1: <laughs> I can I can live with one, three, and five. I'll take yeah. number four. Okay, we're on number four. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty much it. Yep.
1: Yeah. So um, you know, I think I've, I think I helped uh, paint the employment picture and kind of the what the navy does and why we have all these holes and now i just i'd kind of like to just spitball with you on maybe some solutions like so you know, seashore flow modifications is kind of what started this conversation yeah is that really the solution
0: so i I'll, I'll throw out a crazy idea i was talking about at work and i've had this crazy idea for uh, years now and i've not tri- i've not like gone into details about this it's just a crazy idea of like, what if, um, what if you, you're, I'm on board, my seashore three and three. So I'm three years sea duty, let's say on a ship, then three years shore duty. Well, what if those three years, um, we, we switch it up or something, but I deploy for a full year, full 12 months, I'm deployed, right? But then for the next 18 months, I'm guaranteed in port maintenance like full maintenance or whatever but i'm not getting underway at all and then after that for the next you know we'll go we'll go full 24 months right underway deployed year 24 months you get your maintenance and you just get your your training or whatever again i haven't thought of numbers and divide i've just my biggest point is a full year deployed and then some kind of x amount of time back in port Doing your maintenance. I don't even think of sustainment. I just think of maintenance. Maintenance. Getting it ready because you're just underway for a whole year. So I have nothing else on top of that. But it's just like, would would people do that? Would you go to a ship to do that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean the problem with that is you'd have to have a whole crew that say, I'm going to do that model. And then that whole right. crew would have to have four other crews in the OFRP cycle they're with to do that. And then you would have to have a whole Navy
0: to do. Well, that yeah, and so I'm it. talking about it, Yeah. It'd be a whole Navy change, like sc- scrap this, the seashore flow thing. Kind of you, you could do your time on, you know, seashore flow would still exist, but deployment <laughs> cycle would be a full year. And then you're back and you know, again, could it work? I don't know. I like, I, I have not given great thought to it. I just I, think,
1: I, I think I think you could if you put it on the on a 36 month timeline and tried to balance it out with manning and phases and, and try to work out some of the math maybe it could work um but i'd like to discuss some of the footnotes that the navy put uh in their sea shore flow you know maybe some solutions that that uh some some media outlets have, have thrown in there the navy loves to typically throw at problems short term and uh, first one, I'd like to go over is monetary solutions. You know, the Navy's like, well, what if we what if we pay more sailors to stay on ships longer? And we currently have programs that do this these these special duty uh, incentive pays, you yeah. know, for certain jobs. You know, so what if we we're what if the big Navy says, you know what, <clears throat> your your seashore flow is three and three, but if you stay on a ship for, you know, we already all know if you do thirty six months, you get an extra hundred dollars a month for that sea kicker premium. So all right, so you're getting your save pay, which for those that don't know uh sailors get extra money already to be assigned to a ship and if you do three years consecutively on board you get an extra hundred dollars a month on top of that pay and then certain critical jobs like i was talking about earlier they get bonuses on top of the sea pay because they're so specialized and think about you know say you have 300 ships but there's only 200 sailors that have these special skills well they just get shuffled around Constantly, it's kind of like they sign up knowing they're getting pulled out of maintenance space. Yeah. They know when they're on sea duty, they're just getting shuffled around for those two, three, four years staying underway. Because, but they they're getting paid for it. You know, they may get an extra six hundred thousand dollars a month. You know, and now we're talking about maybe every sailor in the Navy take a sea duty incentive pay just go to sea. <laughs> that's how that's how awesome this is. Yeah, um, because of the employment right now. I mean, and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think money. I don't think money's is the solution for
0: this. No, because I don't think the, the the caliber of sailor of today knows that their time is more valuable than however much money the Navy can throw at them.
1: Absolutely, you know, I, I could easily attest to that from one of my recruiting tours. Is the Navy is not seeking people that are having a hard time getting into a trade school or a two-year community college yeah the navy is competing with the same talent that was accepted to a power five university they're competing with the same technical talent that's about to go to a two to four-year trade school program
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know and that's based off of our recruiting manual doctrine right like we're not after the old school way of maybe you have heard of, well, you went – you got in trouble with the law, and the judge said you yeah. can either go to the military or you can go to jail. Like yeah. If you go to – if you have that big of an offense where the judge is saying that to you, you're already disqualified from even talking to them.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, that is a, <laughs> so, um, an old trope that's long, long that's, yeah, past. Yeah, that's
1: 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, you're dealing, you're competing for that same talent that, that could go to Amazon and make double the money yeah.
2: with less bullshit. Yep. Totally um, that's less. what the Navy wants.
1: And that's not just what the Navy wants. That's what the Marines want.
2: That's yeah, what the Air Force yep. wants. That's yep. what
1: the Army wants. So,
2: yeah.
1: you know, there's less and less, uh, desire for, I'm not going to say, uh, what's the, the, the book says the lower mental aptitude uh, candidates.
0: I'm raising my hand and waving it. That's me, folks. <laughs> but that's like,
1: about, was but, written at a 10th grade level.
0: Yeah. But that's, mm-hmm. that's so again, like money's not the problem solver because no, a couple hundred bucks, couple like it's cool. That's nice. I, something coming into the LCS community. I'll harp on again. I, people always told me, bro, if you go pre-com, you're not going to get your C pay. I don't give a damn about my C pay. <laughs> i don't i'd like the 600 that it is or something i don't care about that you don't know care about I
1: have stability and peace of mind
0: yes a hundred percent i'm not that cp and and that cp doesn't make or break my bills i understand for no. some people it does okay cool get back out of the sea. You, you love it you don't mind it you need the money do your thing i'm not knocking you but that doesn't make Set or break me, me.
1: I feel like the to to throw money and let's face it, you're not throwing like generational changing money.
0: <laughs> not like, at you all. Can't afford that. Yeah, <laughs> but
1: it's kind of like giving someone a gift card at Christmas. Yeah, it's kind of like I don't know you here, and I didn't really research what you're into. Nope. But here's fifty dollars at Starbucks.
0: Yeah, <laughs> have fun. You know, have fun. That's your one week of coffee. Cheer up. That's all it is. Yeah, cheer one up. week of coffee. <laughs>
1: Um, you know, there's some other things is what if they, what if yeah, I've heard this s- discussed throughout my entire career, but it's, you know, and that's more and less in media platforms and, and kind of coffee conversations at units and break rooms and stuff. But what if the Navy offered you more time? What if they said, Hey, we're going to give you an extra two days of leave per month of extended sea time. <laughs> Think about it. So for a year, that's an extra 24 days of leave. So you would get 54 days of leave.
0: Now I, I saw that when you when you sent me your notes that that's enticing, right? The only problem with it is when do you get to take it, right? That that's what we're going to come down to is when are you? You're not going to get to take it when you're on that sea duty. You're going to have to take well, it can, when you roll to shore, and and
2: uh, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: But it's a yeah, lot, and I it's I can, cool, and I, and I can
1: and I can plug that in too. Like you know, in the way the fleet schedules work is. Even up at like the four-star level commands in these operations and schedule shops, they budget in like a 20-day window around certain parts of the year, like Christmas and New Year's and pre-deployment,
0: (laughs) post-deployment.
1: They budget some time in there for you to take leave. That's why it's so highly encouraged you take leave during those periods, because guess what the ship's doing out of those periods? Yeah, working. They're training. They're doing they're certifying. They're deploying. They're, yep. you know, it's not so easy to take leave when the ship's scheduled to go underway. Especially mm-hmm. if you're a critical sailor, or you're pretty much a first class on E six. So your middle management are up, uh, good luck. It's probably going to be a, it's going to be a, unless you're like having a baby, yeah, <laughs> or or a dependent is having like major medical conditions. It's it's going to be a hard it's tough.
0: Nut. It's a tough sale. It definitely is. Um, it yo, know, that's that's a selling point that military makes right is hey you get 30 days of leave that's awesome this and that it's a tough sell at least in the navy side of when can you take that i think it's awesome that you mentioned that it's budgeted that around specific times and if you've been in the navy for two years and you've been on deployment you know those times do not be i'm okay i don't need to take leave Nah, take that fucking leave because you're not gonna you're not guaranteed anywhere else you're guaranteed at that moment around christmas uh, post and pre-deployment you're guaranteed it it's gonna get approved because everyone's is getting approved ask for a little bit more (laughs) ask for you know take a couple days before you know bump it to 15 see if that flies but yeah. d- don't just yeah. be like, nah, I- I'm not going to do anything anyways, man. Go sit in your barracks room and you know, just sleep.
1: And I think it's important for a lot of people that don't understand the stress of a, a permanent change of station, which also impacts from seashore flow. Because if you're changing, you know, states every three years, because that's the current seashore flow, because that's what the Navy says is the right model. Well, guess what? We use a lot of our military vacation time for transferring. Yeah. yeah. You know, the Navy will be like, oh, you're going to move your entire family of five from, uh, you know, Everett, Washington to Jacksonville, Florida. We're going to give you nine days to do it. And we're also going to give you one day off beforehand to pack up all your stuff with the movers. We're going to give you another uh, 10 days when you arrive to find a place to live, to live in a hotel, to move all your stuff in. And then we'll give you another day down the road to unpack your stuff. And then you're ready to go, right? Like you're good to go.
2: Yeah. And nope. you are
1: like, uh, no, I'll take my 27 extra days of leave that I didn't get from the ship. And yep. now I'm going to buy a house. I'm going to put my kids in school. I'm going to find doctors. I'm going to get the cars tr- registered. I'm going to get my spouse employed. Or I'm going to figure out where the grocery store is. I'm going to get my bank set up. I'm going to get my address out to... My new, you know, the new fam, my family and friends from where I was. You know, if you're moving to a place where you don't have any support system, guess what you're doing? You're about to meet some neighbors. You're about yeah. to join a church group because you can't do this by yourself. You're like you're gonna, you're gonna start meeting some people. You're gonna about have, start having some barbecues and some some cul-de-sac beers going. You know? <laughs> I know I just met you three weeks ago, but can you watch my kid for two hours? I gotta go to the grocery store.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, that's a great point. That's something I've never even thought of. Um, yeah, I've PCS plenty of times lately. It's all it's only been in San Diego, so that's fine. But that, that's I, and I've never done a cross country uh, PCS with family. But your timeline there and everything you said is just so spot on with what so many people are putting up with, and to show and, and the expectation of a sailor is to show up. And no matter if it's, you're going to a ship or going to shore duty, but to show up and be like, Hey, you're ready. Right. Everything, all that home shit. That's you had your nine days or whatever, right? That, that's good to go. Right. Like it, none of that matters. You're here, you're ready to work. Right. And oftentimes it's like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I am. Right. And then you're looking yeah. back at your spouse and like, Hey, you're good.
1: You're good. I got to yeah. go. Yeah. And then seven months, seven months into your new house, your shit's still in boxes.
0: Yep. You know, it it, and it takes strong spouses to to handle it, and and oftentimes they do, but it is like you said. Um, so going back to the extra days would be awesome, um, but you you have to be able to take them somewhere, um, that have to it only almost have to like when you're when you're overseas and you do the OTEP and you get those guaranteed days or guaranteed flight or whatever, You, you have to have some kind of guarantee, you know, put in there
1: there'd have to be some kind of footnote that holds the commanding officer. And as, let's face it, that's the way every, every policy yeah. in the Navy is always put at commanding officer's discretion. Like, yeah. There'd have to be a footnote like, Hey, you know, after he 36 months, this, this sailor's entitled to at least a one day of leave per month, if not under deployment orders or something.
0: Yeah. Something. Definitely.
1: Um, cause think about it, that could, that's, that's two, four day, that's two, three day weekends or one, four day weekend a month.
0: Sailors would kill for that shit.
1: Absolutely. that's not the timing. You know, I think another beast that I was just mentioning in my previous thing I brought up with time, you know, if I can't give them money and I can't give them time, well, what if I gave you peace of mind and stability? What if I said, if you extend for 12 months because the seashore flow is just not jiving right and I can't get you a replacement, but if you stayed on board, I'll guarantee you your next set of orders, you don't have to move. You can stay in this city because that gives the detailers, like I've, I've covered ad nauseum. Placement, manning, detailer, sailor, the way it works. Our most of our manning models is you're gonna you're supposed to get your next assignment about twelve months out. Sometimes it's six, sometimes it's nine, even before COVID, you know, it still would be short fused. But if they said, hey, stay twelve months, fill that hole until I can get you a spot, but I guarantee your next spot you get priority to stay where you are. Would you stay?
0: Yeah. I think most most Um, ten year plus, fifteen year plus career people would definitely take that, because usually by that time you're starting to set roots into somewhere, um, and starting a family, and you want the consistency of wherever you're at. Um, and you know, sometimes maybe if it wasn't just you know you get to stay where you're at, but guarantee you next location, that would definitely work also. Yeah. Um,
1: that's part I was what I was meaning because that. You're some, all of that stuff that people forget about that, you know, I'm not saying if you don't have a family or you do have a family, even if you're a single sailor, that's moving just yourself, you still have a lot of stuff. You have to plant roots. Yeah. And if you had that stability, like, Hey, I came to Florida, but my whole family is is on the West coast. If I could just get back to the West coast, at least my family's within a five hour car ride and not a a, a day and a half of travel to help me because my spouse is on deployment yeah or you know even dual mill families you know they have a whole different i know you're dual mill you know you have a whole different set of issues yeah. you have to juggle
0: no longer du- dual mill my wife got out back in uh 2017 okay but, but due you, to you live, you live the life but due to a lot of the shit we're talking about is why she got out because of manning issues of detailers not wanting to work with us and where she made the decision of, like, we, we weren't going to continue to go down this road every couple of years try to try to make it work. So she was like, She's I'm done. Stress. She's like, I'm done. You know, and she, she, we had plans on her doing her career. And it, 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 was, it was that. It was that detailer that just didn't understand that she was a nurse, and nurses are always deployable, but always on shore, and that I should just rotate. It was my detailer. That I should just rotate my natural rotation because she could go at any time and he, he did that just he was like no 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 see yo C cc you guys have always have to be seashore always have to be seashore I was, I was like you know so are you telling me i have to always be a sea duty because she's always on shore just answer that for me he was like well, well yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah okay. done with that conversation you know but anyways yeah uh yeah. definitely dual mill toughest thing out there i think um Trying to trying to balance that and keep your family intact in, in whatever location you're at
1: and ha- and happy, not yeah. just intact.
0: Oh yeah, well and yeah, I just, you know they're, you, you, it's tough being happy. You can
1: you can, <laughs> you can be dysfunctional and still be intact, but yeah, you know
0: uh,
1: it's a whole different ball game. But uh, I think those are some of the short term solutions I kind of thought of that you know between the Nassau and different forums that the Navy was discussion. And, and different kind of sailors and places we're talking about and i, I actually got some longer term solutions some are kind of radical and i think some are historically based and uh, did you did you get a chance to look over some of those yeah
0: i i did and uh you know I, i'll spoil it a little bit but you, your shore shore light sea is very interesting to me um why won't you yeah. expand on that
1: So my thought is what if we got rid of seashore flow and we had shore shore light sea flow. So like, say your shore billets are 24 months. And I know everybody's thinking shore is sacred, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Well, every sailor that's probably done an ATG tour or a a TMIT tour or a CSCS tour has probably done more sea time than they thought they were going to do. Um, So I think we should maybe realign billets to where certain ones are shore billets at 24 months And then you have shore light billets that are like 18 months. And then you have sea duty, which, like you said, 36 months, because we've already said an OFRP cycle is 36 months. You know, you get the full all four phases for the most part. Maybe we can have a little bit more predictability on manning the fleets at the right time. And that culminates into a 78 month cycle. So roughly two deployments every six years, if you think about that, that's doable that is manageable
0: that's, that's way better than what we're doing right now
1: yeah cuz if you even if you account and say you're going to do two deployments for those in those 36 months while you're on sea duty but you're told you know you're about to know another what 24 and 18 months with some sea time maybe a random career deployment as long as uh, caveat folks if we go to war against like Iran or China all this is off the table like yeah We're going to put every World War II recruiting video and poster up and that's what we're back to. Anyways, I'm trying to, so I'm just trying to think of what we have now. And I think it's important to understand that everyone knows there are different kinds of sailor billets, right? The first one I'd like to talk about is fit. So that is a sailor that is trained and it has the education and the proper pay grade to fulfill a job. Fill is the easiest one. That's just a hole on the roster. Got to get it filled. He needs to have this rate. You know, fill it. It's a body. Fit is that body with the right education. And then there's one that the Navy's been talking about for a long time, but they just can't figure out really how to track it appropriately and assign it appropriately. And that's skill. So think about it: fit, fill, skill. So skill is right sailor, right pay grade, right education, right experience. Because you know, getting a guy that went to school. Is a whole different ball game than getting a guy that went to school that has a deployment under his belt using those skills. Totally different. Yeah. And I think every person that's ever been in management will understand that. And maybe the Navy, I'm not going to tackle the skill part because we have a lot of unique uh, programs out there some are working, some are not on trying to track experience, but you know, I think it's important for the listeners to understand there's different kinds of personnel categories, so to speak. And in your and I'm, I now I'll move into kind of those three uh, segments of shore, shore light, and sea. So your sea duty billets are going to be the, the most obvious ones. These are ships and deploying staffs and squadrons. And for the management folks that aren't understanding what staffs are, so every level of leadership in the military, it just does not matter which branch we're talking about. There is a management team at an immediate job just above it. Like we mentioned earlier, ISIC ISIC is a staff. Because everyone has a boss. Then you're going to have that boss. You're going to have his deputy. You're going to have his chief of staff. You're going to have a cohort of 20 to, you know, some of the four-star staffs are a couple hundred sized in people. And they're doing all the phone calls, doing all the emails, doing all the research, writing all the papers, doing all the drafts, building all the products in Microsoft Office, (laughs) holding all the meetings, making sure all of the math is worked out before it's presented to the boss. Because the admiral or the 06s don't have time to hear the three-hour conversation. They get a 20-minute brief that's got the facts, the options, and say, sir, ma'am, make a decision here. Bam, done. Ten minutes later, we figure out what three ships are going on deployment, what 15 sailors are going to fill those 10 holes, and what we're doing next. And they're on to the next meeting. That's how it works. But they don't do that by themselves. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of people to help them. They're called staffs. Anyways, so... These sea duty billets would be ships, deploying staffs, and aircraft squadrons, um, obviously submarines, squadrons, things like that. I'm not as familiar with the submarine community, so I'm not going to speak too much on it. Your shore light billets, I think, these are the, I think these are more of like, think about them as like instructor or standard holders or educators. So your CSCS type, so the Center for Surface Combat Systems, these are teaching more of your higher level warfare skills. Um, you have the afloat training group team which is your eight A- we call them atg um you know i think they're um they used to be known as the enemy i don't really think that's as strong anymore i think they yeah. really are trying to break down that barrier of these are your friend but the more you talk to your friend the better he's your friend yeah if you don't talk to your friend until the day he's inspecting you he's not going to be as friendly
0: yeah definitely
1: um but you know it's an open book test most most tests in the Navy are open book they're performance reviewed. Um, how well you performed your administrative duties, how well you performed this mission, how well you performed this exercise they're performance inspections for the most part. and ATG is there to teach you how to take the test and then they watch you take the test that you're given yourself like that's their job um you know and then you have like for the engineering folks you have eap land eap pacific so engineering assessments so for those that don't understand uh ships uh, they need a lot of water and a lot of power and those are done by what we call engineers in the navy they have extremely hard jobs no matter what job it is in engineering it's tough and it's dirty and it's probably long so if you have a friend that's in engineering um there's a reason he's probably a little grumpier than most. <laughs> Um, there are, there is a team around the country their job is to fly around ships that come that are coming towards the end of maintenance phase and they start watching all of the ships cr- crews and training them on doing firefighting right because everything in engineering has to deal with gas pressure and explosive stuff so they have to kind of know what they're doing <laughs> So yeah. they don't just give them the keys to the engine room and say, "Hey, I know you hadn't turned it on in three years, and we just had a bunch of people that you don't know working on it."
0: Light off. Go assessment. for it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Loa baby. Yep. Loa. Every Let's engineer go. knows about Loa. Um, so those kinds of teams, and then you have you know the TICOM material inspection teams team it. So they run like your in service assessments or your TICOM assessments. Um, those are those are the kind of things I'm thinking where we could do shore duty like because you're still. You don't have, you're not ship's company, but you're involved. You're teaching, you're training, you're up to date with policies. You know what's going on. You can see what are the common trends of downs. What's the common trends of goods? What's the real snapshot of the fleet? Those kinds of things. That would be like your shore duty light, because you're still going to go out to sea in all these jobs, but you're going home. You don't have duty. You don't have deployment. You know you're you're a lot more well rounded. You know I believe the term in the surface community is you stay near the quay wall. And then the last one I'll touch on is a shore duty, and that's pretty much everything else. You know if you're in a maintenance capacity like uh, a swarmic or you're you know at fast fact, you know help manage manage the op areas, the operation areas of the of the training exercises that we have maybe you're on a float uh sorry uh shore staffs so there's a lot of our staffs in the navy they don't deploy you know maybe you're doing recruiting duty which i've done it some days are short some days are long but not in the end i think it's very rewarding and balancing uh rdc duty so you're you know for the non-navy folks you're a drill instructor at boot camp very 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 arduous but if you're enlisted and you up there and you do your job it's pretty much unspoken law that you're guaranteed at one at least one promotion off that tour. Like you go there, you do your job, you're gonna get at least one promotion because it's a tough job. Yeah. But anyways, I think all of those other jobs. So so either you're on a ship or a squadron, you're teaching a ship or a squadron, or you're on shore duty maintaining and supporting that squadron through either like manning, development, or maintenance and things like that. That's kind of just one of the things I came up with while thinking about doing this podcast. I'm not sure how you feel about it, but it's just something I jotted down.
0: No, I, I like it because I, I have two quick, like first initial things that pop in my mind when I read it. One, I think is the most obvious is those shore light commands are usually typically pretty small. They don't have much manning. Mm-hmm. So how are you going, there's going to be a manning, like overload there, right? They're going to need to put a lot of people into a shorelight phase where right now there's not billets for. But I also have no problem pumping those numbers up. Getting more ATG inspectors, getting more of the the instructors, I I don't have any problem pumping those numbers up because I, I feel usually, especially ATG, the chiefs coming from ATG going on to the ship, are always uh, from the supply side are always running a better operation because they know it. Cause they were just inspecting it. And it might suck cause they're a lot more hard lined on it, but they know exactly how everything should be running. And mm-hmm. it, it, it's just a better operation than someone coming in and be like, well, I've been on that shore duty for three years. Uh, let me let me get my feet wet again and and start figuring this out and and having to like you know learn for the first three to six months you know and and get back up to speed that atg inspector they're coming in and they're they're up to speed they know it they're they're on top of it yeah so day one stepping
1: on board they're ready to rock
0: right so I, i i like that idea um i just think they're they're all obviously like this whole thing is about manning you'd have to bump some numbers up there
1: we, and, I, and, and the, you know, the times that I gave, 24, 18, and 36 months, I just kind of threw out there yeah. um, based on someone being there long enough to learn the job and do the job. Yeah. And uh, you cannot become an expert instructor at ATG or CSCS or TMIT overnight. You yeah. know, most of these jobs take at least six months to really do the homework, mm-hmm. do the reading, you know, do the job under instruction to get certified as a teacher. So I think if you can get it up and running in six to eight months, that gives someone another six to twelve months of employability to where they can do the job. But you're absolutely right; these are smaller commands. Um, they will have to get bumped up, and maybe the numbers be adjusted a little bit. I don't know, but I think I think we need to look outside of the box. Like we're in a hybrid yeah. world now. Yeah. No. Yeah. Maybe the Navy needs to maybe consider some sort of other stop in the seashore flow. Yeah. Um, no, you know, and I think this would allow, uh, this would allow sailors to have a better understanding of the fields. Like you said, their inspections, their assessments prior to reporting duty, you know, it also I, as, and as I know what man, management's going to say, well, just take the, do the one sea doer or do one shore tour, do one shore light and get out. And I think obviously as an insurance retention tool, you're going to have to have some sort of obligation prior to detaching from your shore, like yeah. make them sign that extension or that next contract through the next sea tour. Um, you're going to have to have something like that to have buy-in yeah, um, from both sides. But, but I mean, I think most people, if they have, they were promised some sort of stability, I think they'd do it.
0: Yeah, and that's already a thing, you know, the, the Obliserv, um, it's a hard thing to get out of nowadays. Like you better have it routed and in your in SIPs in or whatever, you know, in my Navy HR or whatever, by the time you get there, otherwise you're getting there and there's going to be some problems of what you're doing you might be disappearing out of the Navy real quick. And maybe that was your intention was to kind of work the system like that. So you could disappear out of the Navy and go back to being a silvi- a civilian. But I know uh, my obla service for going to the LCS community for raising my hand and taking that pre-com was extending. I, it was really, I had just previously reenlisted the month two months prior. So I extended out a month and got everything EOS PRD. Everything is matched up for retirement. But, they, you know, talking to that detailer, it was like, hey, look, um, we need all this time out of you because you're going to be sitting around for a couple of years until your ship is ready. And then you still owe all this time on the ship. So that was the deal I made. And it's a fair deal because it goes back to what you keep saying. Stability. That's why uh, I, I'm using myself because I know myself Reference to this the best. I, I wanted stability. So I took the Obliserve to match everything up so I could get two to three years sitting around waiting for the ship and then the three years and some months on the ship.
2: No,
1: I, I, I totally get it. And the reason I keep harping on stability is because I've lived that life. Yeah. I, I have done six PCSs in the past
0: <laughs> That's too 10 much.
1: years and I have been in four States. Yeah, that's, um, <laughs> that's, too, that's too much.
0: <laughs> uh, for the uh,
1: for those that know, I, I was formerly a part of one of those 22 high demand rates the Navy has classified for the yeah. seashore flow, but uh, the next one, I'll, the next uh, long-term option I'll talk about just briefly, because I've already mentioned it, is maybe we look at, like I said, the, the cruiser layup model for the LCS community. Maybe we try to steal some of these sailors back to put into these other ships that are handling more of the employment load and we we try to boost up force employment uh numbers and i just maybe and maybe look at a hard 36 and 36 what if you put most of the fleet on dual mill rotation you know 36 months at sea 36 months at, sore. Yeah. at shore yeah it's sure you know maybe you get pulled offshore a couple months early maybe you get extended a little bit a couple months later on 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 sea duty but there are certain rates in, in the navy they're They're doing four or five years, six years on a ship.
0: OSs, RSs, boatswain mates. Mm. Think
1: about that, folks. Imagine imagine six years on a ship that every 36 months, they're doing two deployments with a lot of underway time. And for those that don't understand, and those are in the Navy, it's important to note there is a tracker that the most senior officer in the Navy, the Chief of Naval Operations, four-star admiral that his he has a program it's called the cno op tempo reports operational tempos and what that does is it tracks a units days away from home port that's that's a key thing to understand that means underway days in your area your that's your home but you can't go home it counts and if you hint i'm i'm not going to go into the exact hard data of it because i'm not sure if i can But just know it is tracked. It's tracked closely. Um, And if you hit a certain number over a running six-quarter calendar system, the schedulers have to figure out how to get you some peer time at home. Um, And that's for a deployed unit. So that is tracked. It's very close. The Navy is starting to realize that they need to start doing that for sailors, because like I mentioned before, there's a lot of critical sailors that, you know, we only have 200 of them, but we need 300. And they're getting swapped from ship that's in deployment and sustainment, that's in deployment, it's in sustainment, it's in deployment and sustainment. And a six-year period, they're doing five deployments. And they're starting to realize that certain sailors need op tempos, too, because just because their unit didn't go anywhere doesn't mean they didn't, because TICOM said they could go. And the, the sailor said, Roger up, but you know, no one knows at home he's on his, you know, second divorce. He, he's mm-hmm. missing all of his mental health deployments because he, his sea shore flow is non-existent. It's just CCC yep. and he keeps delaying his treatment and his mental training and spiritual training. So he can meet the mission because he's getting that extra thousand dollars a month to do it. You know, th- that stuff's taking a toll. That's why I don't think money's the solution. I think it's no. a band aid.
0: Yeah. It, it, it's um, a weak band aid And um you know that that's that paints a, a dark picture that is like it's happening all the time and it, it's it's hard to see sometimes when 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 you're the chief maybe you do see it but and maybe you're trying to speak up but there's a lot of other people way above you you know that that are dictating these things you know and there's only so much you can do
1: you know that uh the, uh, the non pretty way to say it is don't uh, shut up in color.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shut I, up I mean, it, it is part of it. It's tough. It's the tough part. It's,
1: it's a tough business. You know, a lot of people forget too. And I can say from the 15 years from where I came in to where I am now, the military is a business. Yeah. We are not a war fighting, you know, root and shooting wild warrior bunch. Like a lot of people think we are. This is a very big business, and I think it's because there has been a lot of data taken back that the the average taxpayer and citizen trusts the military more than any other professional in the country. So, in order to kind of upstand with that expectation, we had to change our image. You know, yeah. glamorizing alcohol, which I'm all for responsible use, but I've had my fair share of bad moments too. Yeah, you know, we we haven't we have in our our own huge movement. A lot of people don't realize that with the Me Too movement, we have higher sexual assaults on military bases that we do on universities. yeah you know, a lot of people don't understand the problems we have we have higher suicide rates we have higher we have the same issues civilian societies have we just have them on most parts at higher numbers higher yeah. divorce rates yeah higher most rates are higher in all of these things and it in, all in every category in
0: across the board it doesn't matter what what demographic of anything you want to look at the numbers are going to be higher in a smaller community. I, We're just a microcosm of society. We have all the same problems.
1: Yep. We're, and they're just, we have higher stress jobs and I think stress has a lot to do with those problems. Oh yeah. And, uh, I, I think dude, I mean our daily, even in the, the downside of shore duty and to tie back into sea shore flow for those people that are annoyed that we keep talking about these other things is like these are stressful jobs. Even in your lazy time is very stressful. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I digress and I will move into my third and I think the most unique and realistically, I'm not as familiar with the reserve side of the house. And so maybe if a reserve listener can kind of do some research and come back with some data, that'd be great to get that point of view. But, you know, I'm going to ask you this. Did you know, before I sent my my notes to you, the number of reservists that fought for the Navy in World War II, did you know that percentage of the fleet?
0: No, not, not the hard numbers. I only would say I have like I had like an inkling from watching movies where oftentimes Tom Hanks playing the whatever war hero of the of the movie, right? Great is, Greyhound,
1: great movie and it's great, it's just yes. 100% accurate on right. what we do with submarines.
0: And uh, that that's one of them. But there's so many of those movies where it's always like, oh, no, he they, they were reserved. Their, their old job was this. Their real job is this. They're just here playing soldier or they're just here playing sailor. So I was like, damn. So like it wasn't on my mind. But then when I looked at the numbers, I was like, well, yeah, like no shit. huh? That's why that's why it's always portrayed that way in the movies. Art mimics just life.
1: Like, you know, I mean, not that Tom Hanks makes bad movies, but another perfect example, you know, Saving Private Ryan. He's a yeah. school teacher. Yes. He's a baseball coach.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he's just there doing that because he was called up or, or or he was a reservist. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah um, Go go ahead with your numbers.
1: So I think it's important, you know, I've already mentioned Navy history several times, and I think there's a lot of solutions to our current problems through Navy history, and we do have reservists that are on full-time duty. They're called FTS, Navy Full-Time Service. Um, But for those that don't know, at the peak of the Navy's manning numbers in 1945, at the end of World War II, 87% of the Navy that was filling active duty billets were reservists. That's wild. 87%. Think about that. So if you really think about the math, like active duty, we're just here to do the bare minimum we're here just to maintain the minimum we're here just to do the allied exercises enough to say we're still friends and keep those contacts mm-hmm. but if if we really had to push the 911 button we're we're expected to have reservists like coming in inbound within 30 days taking jobs if that's really the plan i think we should start maybe looking at integrating more reservists yeah you know they're, they're a little bit cheaper to maintain, which is why we have so many of them. Is well, maybe we start activating them for some of these deployment cycles. What if we give them, you know, I don't know if they're capable, but maybe, hey, you're going to take these 10 month orders, you're going to do a tra- training cycle and one deployment, and then you're going to come back to working at the Apple Store or Starbucks. Yeah. You know, at one point, like I was saying, three to one reservists numbered, outnumbered in the beginning of World War II, they outnumbered active duty three to one. It's pretty astonishing numbers, but what I think it should do is at, at minimum, let's get rid of these can sailor TAD team ad requests. And if you need a sailor that bad, you need to get some, you need to get the reserve
0: involved. Yeah. Now, I you think, know, if, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say, I think that's a great idea. Again, when I saw that part, I, I, it makes perfect sense. That's what they are there for. Why yeah, are we not absolutely. using that tool?
1: No, hundred percent. I think that's there. And if somebody's like, well, they don't have the same skill as a Navy duty sailor. Okay. Fix, educate them.
0: Yeah. Put
2: them
1: on active duty order, send them to that special school, put them back out into the, into the NOSC, you know, the Navy operational support center, if you don't know what that is. And that's where our reservists operate. If you don't know, there's a NOSC literally covering every zip code of America. Some are closer than others, but you know, let's better educate and build up the reserve force because that's what they're there for. You know, they, act, like I said earlier, when you go to fight, you can only fight so hard for so long. At some point, you're you're going to need a relief,
0: right? And they're That's the g- And like I said, they're they're going to get called up in that World War III scenario, anyways. So why wouldn't you call them up already trained or with more training than what they have currently?
1: Absolutely. And this, and if you're if you're a decent at basic math, you know, I, I can't. I got to be careful on how I word this. And I know we're getting to the end of the episode, but I just want to kind of let people think on this one, because I think this is truly a million dollar question. At The highest, excuse me, the highest pay grades um, in the military is, do we have enough manning with no matter the seashore flow model we have, do we have enough manning in sailors to man all sea duty billets? concurrently that are in all four phases of OFRP. Yeah. In the event a stressful situation comes up and the Navy needs all maintenance ships, all deployment ships, all sustainment ships and all training ships manned at the same time to operate. Can they do it? I personally don't think they can.
2: Nah.
1: Um, I don't know the data. I don't know if I'm right. I don't know if I'm wrong. This is my opinion but if they can and we're having all these trouble now you know let me flip back what are we at 270 some odd ships yeah what what was the what was the goal that everybody's been drumming previously 400 or
0: 350 400 355 i don't
1: know where we're getting those uh what do you are you you manning ribs (laughs) 12 12 meter ribs Uh, your average, I mean, a destroyer in the Navy is roughly 300 personnel, a cruiser's like 350, you know, some of our amphibs are about four or 500 ships company, a carrier's a couple thousand. I mean, these are not small numbers. These are huge numbers that you need to have to have at the same time. But if you have 11 carriers, but you only have enough sailors to man with the right fit, fill skill to man eight at a time, then do you really have 11 or do you have 11 ships and enough manpower to fund Ada. you know what i mean yeah so i think that's the dilemma and i really think that's the why why the navy is trying to juggle all this is they're trying to figure out if they have enough manning to do so you know and the million dollar question if you don't how are you gonna fix it
0: yeah um no nah, that, that, that's great bro and i think we'll wrap it right there with that million dollar question um if you're listening still please and, and your active duty navy Check it out. Find the link to the the Seashore Flow um, survey. I've posted it on the Bravo Zulu podcast Facebook page. Uh, if you're listening, you're probably a friend. I've posted it on my personal page. Google it. It doesn't matter. Find the survey and give your input because they're asking for it. And and when when they're asking for this kind of stuff from the feedback of, of the gin pop sailor out there, we need to give it. So again, brother, I appreciate you uh, taking the time this evening and uh, coming on and sharing all this wealth of knowledge. Appreciate it, brother.
1: Yeah, no problem. Thank you.
0: For more information on how you can support the podcast, please visit anchor.fm backslash Zulu podcast. The information, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely of Joshua Moore and the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent the DOD, DON, or those of the respected institutions or organizations. Thanks for joining us.